morning, Calvary. Hey, great to see you today. So good to be back. And uh, honestly, I had a hard time sleeping last night. I was, I was ready for this morning and for this message. I'm kind of fired up. You're going to be here a while. I am <laughs> just glad you're here. Uh, we were out of town last week. Last Sunday, we were attending the General Council of the Assemblies of God. Uh, it was in Orlando, Florida. If you're not familiar, Calvary is a part of a fellowship of churches called the Assemblies of God. And uh, every two years, we get together as ministers, credential holders within the fellowship and have what we call our general council. It's a time to come together and to do business, inspiring services. Uh, we focus on some leadership development things. And uh, last Sunday night was really a special night. They, they did a mission service like they've never done before, commissioned 108 missionaries out into service, several of them our friends, people we already support. And so just a really, really cool experience. If you've been around Calvary for a while then you know uh, Doug Clay, who was our pastor here at Calvary from 97 to 2004, now serves as the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. He is the leader over our whole movement, and uh, this, this general council was the first time that he sat in that chair, just led so well, so thankful for him and for his leadership. And I, I just, I, I want him to know that his church prays for him. And uh, so when he comes to your mind, I hope you'll pray for Pastor Clay. It was good to see an old friend. And then while we were in Orlando, we took a couple of vacation days as well, visited another old friend. How many of you know Mickey Mouse? Any of you know Mickey? <laughs> it was good to see him. Some of you have been concerned that Mickey is having some financial problems. Don't worry, he is doing just fine. And uh, it was good. We went and visited Epcot one day, worshiped there, and gave him the offering. It was... Um, <laughs> made me think, though. You ever heard the legend about, about Walt Disney? That when he died, he was frozen. Raise your hand if you ever heard this. Have you, have you heard this? Like, yeah, like this. I mean, this is like a, a pretty well-known kind of kind of rumor that when Walt died, they froze him, put put him in what they call like a cryonic state, so that. And the idea is that either his body or some speculate just just his head. That's weird. Just his head is frozen, and they say it's buried under. The Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland. <laughs> this true story is what they say. I'd have at least picked It's a Small World. <laughs> Although you don't want to hear that for eternity now, do you? I guess if you, if you think about that for a minute. But that's, that's, that's like the rumor. That's what they speculate has happened to Walt. Now, I, I did some research. The idea is Walt's, Walt's being preserved so that when science gets to a point that they can resuscitate life, he, he could come back again. And, uh, you know, by and large, you, you just got to think it's just a rumor. I don't think there's any truth to it. It's one of those interesting legends and stories. But there are people who have done it. Like there's people who have had their bodies frozen. It's called cryonics. So that as technology evolves, they can hopefully be brought back to life. Here's, here's the truth. And we'll see this from Scripture today. All of us are coming back to life. Like the reality is we have an eternal destiny, that the life that we live now is just the beginning, but that after we breathe our last in this life, life goes on. And we'll, we'll talk about that more today. The deal is, though, that the pivotal moment in all of that, for all of us, the historical hinge that will lead to the point when what is dead becomes alive again is when Jesus Christ returns. Here's what we see. Walt's not coming back, but Jesus is. And we put our hope and our confidence in him. Now, the Bible talks about this a lot, and we're going to dig into this a lot, not just with the matter of theology. Like, we're not going to talk a lot about the specifics of Jesus coming back today. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 
2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at what Peter says about the second coming of Jesus Christ as we talk about this today. Two weeks ago, we started a new series called Let's Talk About. And we've been talking about some of the, the uncomfortable or the uncommon or maybe even some of the awkward topics, some of the forgotten topics that sometimes we don't address when we talk about things in church or when we look at Scripture. Two weeks ago, we talked about the idea that Jesus said that we are to be salt and light. He's called us to bring life and to bring light to make a difference in the world. So as Christians, we're not just supposed to let life pass us by. We've been created to be different and to make a difference. And then last week, Pastor Chris did an excellent job of building on that and talking to us about how important God's word is in our lives, that it is the foundation of who we are and what we believe, and that all of our life is built upon the truths that God has given to us in Scripture. So this week, we're, we're, hopefully you're, you're going to see how these messages develop as we go over these, these next six weeks. As, as we move forward, this week we're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus. Next week, what I want to do is I want to hit some of the tough questions especially in light of what's been in the headlines the last couple of weeks. A lot of tragedy, a lot of heartache. Next week, we're going we're gonna to talk about some of the tough questions, like where is God when this or that happens? Why does God, if he's good, allow such and such to happen? We're going to look at those things next week, but before we get there, I think it's important that we talk about what we're looking at here today. So today we're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about his return. And in the third, pa uh, the third uh, chapter of 2 Peter, Peter digs into this subject. Let's, let's just jump in and look at this. We're going to work through these verses today. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. This is like the perfect introduction to a message in the series like this. Peter's saying to them, look, there's some things, guys, we need to talk about. Some things that sometimes are easy for us to forget or, or to let pass us by. But he says, I want to talk to you. And, and the subject here he's talking about is the second coming of Jesus Christ. He says, look, you heard the prophets talk about it. You've read what the prophets said. And you know that Jesus talked about the fact that he was coming back. And I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking in this. I want you to consider what does it mean if Jesus is going to come back. Now, what, what Peter doesn't do here is get into a lot of the specifics. Like, he's not going to talk about timing. Like, sometimes when we talk about the, the second coming, we want to talk about when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. He doesn't talk about the rapture or the tribulation or the millennium. He doesn't go into those details. There's other passages that do. But what he says to them is, if Jesus is coming back, then it's got to make some kind of difference in your life. Today, I want to show you three things we should be if Jesus is coming back. If Jesus is coming back, here's three things as we walk through what Peter teaches us in 2 Peter chapter 3. Three things that we should be if Jesus is coming back. Let's jump right in. Here's the first one. Number one, if Jesus is coming back, let's be honest. If Jesus is coming back, let be on, let's be honest. Chad, what do you mean by let's be honest? Look, sometimes there's things that are difficult for us to talk about. And sometimes you just have to be honest about the truth. And sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. You ever seen that to be true? <laughs> it's, it's weird in the natural world to talk about Jesus coming back. 
Like for a lot of people, it's just kind of uncomfortable because truth is stranger than fiction. When you say that a historical figure is going to come back, it's kind of unnerving. When you say that someone we've never seen is going to show up, that's kind of uncomfortable. When you describe a future reality for the planet and people that's so different from what we know, it gets a little heavy, can get a little weird. It can be uncomfortable for us sometimes. Peter says, look, this is a reality that we need to talk about. So let's be honest about what Scripture says to us. Here's, here's how he does it. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, he talks about some heavy things here, and he's being honest with his readers. And what he does in this passage is he wants to point out some things to them. He shows them two things that are true, and then he shows them two other things that are some false assumptions of the time in which they live. Let, let me walk you through this and show you what he's wanting them to be honest about. First, and, and let's just call this truth number one, he points out that God created the world. Truth number one, God created the world. He says they deliberately forget. Isn't that an interesting combination of words? They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. He says, look, God created everything. God created the world. And for some of you, you're like, well, that's, that's basic. For many of us, we believe that the Bible teaches in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis that everything that exists was created by God. He spoke the words. He said, let there be light. And with those words, everything in creation began to fall into place. But much of the instruction that people receive today says anything but that. Many people believe that the world exists because of random chance and scientific evolution, and God is taken out of the picture. Why does that matter? Because when we take God out of creation, we eliminate him from having authority in any other part of our lives. If we say he's not the creator, where does he have any right to speak with authority to creation? And when we take God as the creator out, he has no legitimate place over creation. So can you see why Peter starts by saying, you have to begin with this. He's the creator of everything. Yes? Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. I've been gone a while, so I was making sure you're good, you know? <laughs> Look, this sermon's not about creation versus evolution. It's about Jesus coming back. But watch what happens next, because the first truth that he says is God created everything. Truth number two that he says is this, God will judge the world. Not only did God create the world, but God will judge the world. Look, look at verse six. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, same word that created everything, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do you see what he said here? He made it so he can judge it. He created it so he can do anything he wants with it. He, he's the one who is in control. 
And he talks about this judgment. In fact, look at this in verse 10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That's some strong language, isn't it? It sounds like a screenplay, right? The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire. I've seen the Avengers. I know what that's going to look like, right? <laughs> like you got that in your mind. That's not the most terrifying part. Here's the most terrifying part. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That means it's all going to be out there. It's going to be exposed. There's so much controversy in the news right now. Right? The last few years in particular, it seems like there's always some scandal or there's always some investigation. Whether it's some congressional investigation or a high-profile suicide, we're always saying, where's the conspiracy? Like, where's the truth? How do we find out what really happened? People are hungry for the truth, and here's the deal. When Jesus returns, nothing's going to be covered up anymore. It's not going to be announced. He's going to come like a thief. Everything as we know it will be destroyed because God is going to create something new, but it says that all things will be laid bare, exposed to the scrutiny of judgment, and not just the world. Look at what Jesus says, Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. He says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. See, he knows what you've done. So he's not just talking about the world in judgment. He's talking about you in judgment. In fact, Paul unpacks this even more, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Does it terrify you to think you're going to get what you have coming to you? <laughs> like there's, there's such a thing as judgment. How'd you like it if... Later today, just unannounced, I show up at your front door, and I'm already streaming on Facebook Live. And I just said, hey, I'm just going to walk through your whole house, and I'm just going to put it all out there. You didn't have any time to prepare. You weren't ready. You'd say, you can go anywhere except for that room as I walk in. I go to that back corner of your garage that nobody should see or wants to see, by the way, right? All that stuff. Some of you just had a mild panic attack, thinking that everything in your life would be laid bare, but there will be a moment of judgment. Understand this, too. Whether or not we are alive on the day when Jesus returns, we will some point still have to stand before him. Every single one of us will give an account for our life, and he will judge each one of us because all of us have an eternal destiny. This life is just the beginning. It's the opening act the reality is that when we breathe our last, that's when life really starts, and you will have an eternal existence in heaven or in hell. If you have believed and put your faith in Jesus Christ, and if you have lived your life for him, then heaven is your destiny. And that's something to be excited about, isn't it? Twelve of us are stoked and going there. I thought after all these years as a pastor, I'd done a better job, but I guess I'll see you and you and you, right? <laughs> Are you stoked to go to heaven? Yes, right? Yes. All right, good. But the reality is that if you've not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that those who have not will spend eternity in a place separated from God. Their scriptures refer to that as a very real place, not of joy and peace and paradise, 
but of torment and isolation, referred to as hell. Oh, Chad, that's, that's a little heavy for just coming from Disney World. <laughs> Why say this? Because this is one of those topics that's easy for us to just kind of sweep under the rug. Like, we, we, we want to come to church, and we want to have somebody tell me something that's going to make me feel good about the place where I am right now, the issues that I'm wrestling with right now. And so many times, Scripture does. But over and over again, Scripture tells us we need to be aware of our eternal destiny. Do you remember when you were in school, and the teacher would assign something? You didn't give it a whole lot of thought unless you knew it was going to be graded, right? You know those times when you'd have to read something, they'd assign, hey, read these 20 chapters, and the teacher would give a lecture, and was almost always certain there was somebody who was going to raise their hands, teacher, teacher, is this going to be on the test? You were in that class, right? You know what I'm talking about. Somebody always said, hey, is this going to be on the test? Can I tell you the stuff that we're teaching today is on the test? You have to give an answer for this at some point. So there's these two truths that Peter points out. He says, look, God created everything, and as a result of that, he can judge it if he wants to. That becomes really important because there's two false assumptions that he points out that's in the world at that time that he wants them to see. The first false assumption, false assumption number one, is that Jesus is not coming back. Like people thought about this. Look at, look at what Paul says, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But Peter says this is going to happen in the last days. And look, we, we live in those last days. The Bible refers to the last days as the time after Jesus' death and resurrection. So we live in this time and he says that people were coming, and they were saying, look, you say he's coming back? Well, where is he? <laughs> he hasn't come back yet. Look, it's been all these years, and nothing's changed. Are you sure he's coming back? And the reality is, I, I think everybody asked that question at some point. Look, for millennia now, people have been saying that. Christians have said, look, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Well, he hasn't been here in 2,000 years. Nothing's really changed. You sure he's coming back? Because sometimes when we wait a while... We start to wonder. When we were out of town, there was this store that was there that we don't, we don't have in this area. And so we thought, oh, we'll go check it out. And so we were, we were in the store and it shopped for a little while. And it was late. And we were um, kind of finishing up. And we got up to go to the checkout line. And Rhonda said, you know what? If, if you want, I'll just go through the checkout line. Why don't you run and grab the car and just kind of pull up? And I was like, oh, I'm a gentleman. And I don't want to be in here. So cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so I went and got the car. And I kind of pulled up, you know, so that she would come out. And she didn't come out. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Like, I songs playing, you know, in the car. I got through the first song, got through the second song. I'm like, this is going far too long. Like, she shouldn't have been in there this long. And you start to get a little worried, don't you? You're like, what's going on in there? Why is this taking so long? When all the weird stuff that's been in the headlines lately, you, your mind starts to go, is there something weird going on in there? Is there some kind of problem in the store? Is there some kind of problem like with, with the debit card? Did she just pull this trick so she could go shop more while I was outside? <laughs> like you're asking all these questions, right? To the point that I started to go, is she, do I need to go in there? Like is she ever coming out? Because when you wait too long, you start to wonder. This is human nature. Peter knew that. So he says this, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friend. 
With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, God doesn't see time the same way we do. He has a different perspective. That's irritating sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> like some of you may need to hear that just because you've been, you've been waiting, you've been praying, you've been expecting. And there might come a moment when you go, God, have you even heard my prayers? God, are you even there? It's good for you to know that God's timing is not ours, but his timing is perfect. And especially when we talk about this idea of Jesus coming back. Can I challenge you? Just because Jesus hasn't come back, it does not mean he won't come back. Just because he hasn't doesn't mean he won't. That's, 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 that's bad logic. It, it would be like me saying to you, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to die. And you say to me, Chad, why do you think you're not going to die? And I say, I ain't dead yet. <laughs> I haven't died yet. Don't think it's going to happen. The reality is it happens to all of us, doesn't it? And just because Jesus hasn't come back doesn't mean he won't come back. Here's what we believe. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's wild, isn't it? Like every day when I drive to the church from my home, I drive past the cemetery. When the rapture happens, I wouldn't mind driving by that at that time. It'd be kind of cool to watch them all just come up out of the ground before I come up out of my car. Wouldn't that be cool? Just this, verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I don't have time to dig into all the theology of what we believe. I know a lot of times that's where we can get kind of hung up. We don't have time to talk about our belief in the pre-tribulation rapture, the church, which is our blessed hope, or the millennial reign of Christ, or the future judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, the great, great white throne judgment, or to go into what the Bible teaches about the new heavens and the new earth. If you're, if you're curious about digging into more of that, what we believe as a church, if you, if you go to the website ag.org, ag.org, Assemblies of God, you can click on the beliefs button that's there, and, and you can from there go and find out what we believe about these subjects. But let me tell you, this is a big deal because the Bible talks about it a lot. There are 1,845, 1,845 references to the second coming of Jesus Christ in just the Old Testament. In just the Old Testament. Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 318 references to his second coming. That's one out of every 30 verses. And you've heard of Jesus' first coming, right? When we talk about the first time he came, we celebrate that and we call that Christmas. Very good. You remember, how many of you remember Christmas? Yes, okay, cool. Christmas is talked about in Scripture, but... For every prophecy that we have about Jesus' first coming, we have eight times as many prophecies about Jesus' second coming. Was Christmas a big deal? His second coming, apparently, according to Scripture, is eight times more of a big deal. Chad, this all still seems weird. Yeah, everything seems weird until it isn't. Now, I want you to track with what Peter's saying here. He's saying, look, I'm writing to you because you live in a culture that has questioned whether or not God is the creator, which denies him the right to be your judge, and as a result speculates if Jesus is coming back or if he even exists. P 
Peter says, that's the time that you live in. Does that sound familiar? I mean, very much in line with the things that we're hearing and seeing in our culture today. So we can relate to what he's saying. So let me show you the second false assumption that they make. Peter says, look, you question God as creator, so you take away his ability to judge. And then as a result, you wonder if Jesus is even coming back, which leads to the second false assumption number two. I can live however I want. Because if I've taken God out of the picture, then everything's okay for me. I can live however I want. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. Following their own evil desires. They'll, they'll do whatever they want. And then down in verse 5, this line, he says, they deliberately forget. What an interesting combination of words. Can you deliberately forget? What if your mom asks you to do something? And you don't do it. She says, Chad, why didn't you do it? And I says, well, Mom, I deliberately forgot. <laughs> How's that going to fly? You don't deliberately forget. You just choose either not to do it or to believe a lie. Peter's writing this letter, and he's saying to them, look, there are people not outside your church. There are people coming inside your church who are telling you things that just aren't true, and they're causing you to become cloudy in what you believe God's word says and in your morality. And he's writing these things to them because he did not want them to be deceived. And we're preaching these things to you because we want you to know the truth. And I don't have the time to do it today, but I'd encourage you go back and read the second chapter of First Peter, or Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 2, because he describes these false teachers and so many of the things that he says line up with things that people are saying we should believe today. We're going to talk about this a little bit in this, in this series. But there's so many things that people say that don't line up with the word of God. And we need to make sure that what we believe lines up with God's word. Do we not? I told you we, we, uh, we went to Epcot on Thursday, which was cool. I'd, I'd been there when I was like a senior in high school. So it was really cool, cool to go. And so we went and we... Um, you know, bought our, bought our ticket, and they, they give you the, this little, like, credit card-looking type thing um, that, that's, like, your ticket, so you can use it to get in and out of the park and for rides and this kind of stuff. So I, I had this, and then someone had also, we were, we were able to get some, like, gift cards to Disney as well, which was great because then I didn't have to take out a mortgage, and so it was good. And so, um, so I had, like, I had my ticket on the one side of my wallet, and I had the little gift card on the other, and we had these gift cards, and we were like, we were, you know, if you've been to Epcot, you know, they have like the future part, and then they have this part that's all these different, like, exhibits from different countries around the world. You know what I'm talking about? And so, so we're like there, and we're like, we really feel like the Lord's leading us to just eat our way around the world. And so that's what we were doing. <laughs> and so we're in the process of this. So we go up to this one restaurant, and like, they don't leave any details out. So like, the people that are serving you, by and large, are from whatever country they want you to feel like you're in. So we're in this one country, and, and, and we up there, we're getting something to eat, and the, the lady on the other side of the counter, young lady, was, was not from the United States. She kind of had broken English, and a couple of times as I'm ordering, it felt like there was like this little bit of a, a difficulty in us understanding each other as we're communicating, which I'm sure is totally her and not me at all, right, in my mind, you know, kind of thing. So then she gives me the total, and so then I pull the card out, and I, and I go to pay, and, and, I, and I hand her the card, and she tells me the total again. I'm like, yeah, I know what the total is. I'm giving you this so we can pay. And she starts like, like, and I can't understand her, and I know she can't understand me, which means she must be wrong, right? You know, as I'm, as I'm going through this, and I'm, and I'm giving her this card, and I'm like, hey, just, just and I think she, she must not be familiar with the gift card, not sure how it works. I literally was about to reach over the counter and like swipe it through her little machine for her when Rhonda said, that's your ticket. 
the gift card was over here. I had my ticket in my hand. I was trying to pay with something that had no value to her. Because I didn't understand her, I thought I was wrong. Till I got called out and realized what I was believing had all the value, had no value. I was the most embarrassed man on the planet in the happiest place on earth. And that's what happened to me in that, in that moment. Someday you're going to have to stand before Jesus. And there may be some things in your life that you've been believing have value because that's what the culture has said or because that's what you've wanted to believe. Or maybe you've known the truth and at times you've just deliberately forgot. And I can tell you when you stand before him, even if you didn't understand it all, when judgment day comes, if you're not holding on to the truth, it loses its value. Does that make sense? Look, why, why do we spend time on this? Because you need to be honest about your eternity. Like, we, we've parked here for a long time. We'll race through the, the rest of this message. You'll be out in time for dinner. And um, <laughs> here's the problem. Like, I love superhero movies. I have since I was a little kid. But I've probably seen too many of them. Because when I, when I read the description about the end times, it sometimes sounds more like a science fiction screenplay than a prophecy of future history. But can I tell you, this isn't a movie. One day this drama will be real, and Jesus is coming back again. And I, and I challenge you to be honest about this, because for some of us, we've not thought about our eternity. And you need to think about this. Like, are, are you set for heaven or hell? When Jesus comes back, are you ready for his return? What have you thought about his eternity? Because I can tell you this, when he comes the second time, it's not going to be like the first time. The first time he came like a baby on a mission of mercy. The second time when he comes, he's going to come as a victorious king. And he's going to change and judge the world. And so don't dismiss this idea of Jesus coming again. Let me read you a little bit. John saw this in a vision. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. He says, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself, and he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him and riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. And he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's serious business. Because Jesus Christ is coming again. And I don't want you to miss that. That's why we want to be honest about it. So what will that mean? First, if Jesus is coming back, then let's be honest. But what that means, number two, if Jesus is coming back, then let's be holy. If Jesus is coming back, then let's be holy. These are, these are Peter's words, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Holiness is, is kind of tricky to talk about. We, we spent some time talking about it last summer in a series that we call trend, called Trending. You can find it online. Oftentimes, it's not popular to talk about being holy because holiness isn't popular. 
oftentimes it's considered old-fashioned or outdated or uninformed or intolerant or unacceptable or even bigoted. What it really means to be holy means to be set apart. That we as sons and daughters of God, we do things differently. We realize that our lives are not common. We belong to the creator. Our, our daughter got married last month and uh, you buy a really cool and expensive dress when that comes, right? <laughs> you know that? And it was interesting because that dress stayed in a very sacred place for the months between when it was purchased and when it was, when it was worn on that day. In fact, I was not allowed to see it that whole time. And it stayed in this protective shell the whole time. It was funny. We didn't eat ice cream or peanut butter and jelly around that dress <laughs> because you did not want anything to happen to it. Why? It wasn't an ordinary dress. It was to be spotless. It was to be blameless. It was set apart for a special use. That dress was holy. The Bible says that if Jesus is coming back, then we are set apart because we're holy. Holiness means I am committed to doing things God's way because I'm committed to God. It's not because I'm following the rules or I don't want to get busted. It's because I love God and he loves me, so I want my life to be right with him. Holiness is about a godly life. Peter says this. He says, if this is, if this is how it's going to go, if Jesus is coming back, then you ought to live holy and godly lives. I think marriage is probably the best analogy of that. Oftentimes when we talk about holiness, we use this analogy of marriage because holiness shows that I am committed to living my life for God. I wear this wedding ring, not because this ring makes me married, but because this ring shows everybody that I'm one lucky guy. And it shows that I belong to someone. And so there's choices that I make in my life where I set my own desires aside or where I do things differently than I used to or there's decisions I don't make or there's ways that I choose to live because that relationship with that other person means more to me than any other. This ring doesn't make me married. It shows that I am. And when I choose to live a life that's holy, it's not always because it's easy or it's not always because I want to. It's because God is the most important thing in my life. Peter says, if Jesus is coming back, then holiness is about a godly life. And can I show you something else he says? He says that holiness is about a peaceful life. Holiness is about a peaceful life. He says this, so then, dear friends, this is verse 14, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless. Those two words have to do with holiness. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless. And then look at what he says at the end of verse 14. He says, and at peace with him. Look, when we choose to live a life of holiness, it brings peace into our lives. I can tell you this, that when you choose to do things God's way, it takes a lot of pressure off. It helps you to make decisions that you're not sure how to make otherwise. It gives you standards for your life that keep you out of situations that would lead to personal destruction Holiness pays off, not just in your relationship with God, but it gives you peace in this life, and that's why we talk about it. Look, some of you may have come from backgrounds, or your thoughts about the church is that every time you hear the word holy or holiness, you think of legalism or people judging you, 
The idea of holiness is not about being legalistic. It's about being in a relationship with God. And it makes all the difference. And can I tell you, for some of you, you're struggling to find peace in your life in one way or another. And maybe the reason is because you have certain feelings about God. You have desires to interact with God in your life. Your words say things about God, but your life is not matching up. And because you're not living a life of holiness, you're not experiencing a life at peace. Does that make sense? Look, my, my question to you is, are you living in holiness? Like if you had to look at your life, what sets you apart from the world? Not what makes you weird. What sets you apart? What makes you weird is a whole different sermon. <laughs> but what shows that you belong to a God who loves you so deeply? What shows that you are holy? Not perfect, because none of us are perfect. And not where you go, well, it's too late for me, because it's never too late. But have you chosen to be holy? What if, I, what if I were to say to you that based on my study of Scripture today, as I teach to you about the second coming of Jesus Christ, that I believe that Jesus will return at 4.57 this afternoon. He will be here before dinner. How would you respond? First of all, you would realize that I'm a cult leader, and you should look for another church. That would be the first thing. Okay? I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if, 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 if. But if I were to tell you, and you believed me, that Jesus was going to be here before dinner, what would you do? Like, how would you live these next few hours? Would you make some things right with other people? Would you repent in some way? Would you be terrified? Would you be running down here to this altar? Like, if, if you thought that he was coming back this afternoon, how would you respond? Because he could come at any time. My question to you is, are you living a life of holiness before God. And some of you quickly say, does it, does it matter? Does it make any difference? I've been doing pretty good so far. I've been getting away with it up to this point. My life's been working pretty good up to, to this point. Any, any of you ever looked so good? I mean, you, you were dressed so sharp. You looked so good that while you were driving, the city of Toledo wanted to take a picture of you. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> You go through an intersection, flash goes off. You're like, man, I must look good. Toledo wants a picture of me. Those red light cameras, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You see that flash in your rearview mirror? Some of you, you're repenting. Some of you are right now, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You see that flash, and you, you start saying to yourself, it wasn't me. I'm sure it was somebody else, or maybe just a malfunction, or maybe I was driving fast enough that my license plate's just a blur, you know, or something. You're thinking that. And then, just to fool with you, they wait, don't they? Like, you don't get it the next day. I don't know this from personal experience, but a couple weeks later, <laughs> a couple weeks later, you go to the mail, and you're like, oh, man, got me. I get to send my offering to the city of Toledo. I love the 419, right? That's what you're thinking. <laughs> you thought to yourself, maybe I'm not going to get it. Just because it hadn't happened didn't mean it wasn't going to happen. Just because you hadn't seen that envelope didn't mean you weren't getting that envelope. Just because Jesus hasn't come back, it doesn't mean he isn't coming back. And this is going to be on the test. If Jesus is coming back, then we need to be honest. We need to be holy. Real quick, let me show you one other thing. Number three, if Jesus is coming back, then let's be hopeful. If Jesus is coming back, let's be hopeful. This passage is heavy. 
uses the word destruction a lot. <laughs> uses the word judgment a lot. In fact, in verse 12, we kind of skipped over it, but, but for sake of time, but he talks about this destruction. Then in verse 13, he says this, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. When, I, when, I'm, uh, when I'm studying a passage of scripture, I use a lot of books that we call commentaries, and it's one person's thoughts on what that scripture means. And it helps me to kind of think what other people think and do research and historically understand the context a little bit better. So I use a lot of commentaries. One of the things that I use and consider to be a commentary is a, is a version, a translation of the scripture called the message. Anybody ever heard of the message? Some people have some real issues with the message. Some people don't like it, and you'll see this on the internet, this kind of stuff. I actually like it, and here's the reason why. Because when I read it, I don't look at it and go, oh, this is the infallible, inspired word of God. I say, this is one person's interpretation of what those scriptures mean, because one guy did it. So when I read it, I read it like a commentary, and there's times when I read it, and I go, oh, wow, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. The same way I do when I read my commentaries. And then sometimes when I read it, I read it and go, oh, that's really good. I, I like the way that he pictured that. Verse 13, I, I like the way that the message says this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. He's talking about the destruction that's coming, and then he says this, but we'll hardly notice. We'll be looking the other way, ready for the promised new heaven and the promised new earth, all landscaped with righteousness. Don't you wish someone would come to your house and landscape with righteousness? I love that picture. We, we won't even notice. He says, look, our hope for the future. There is hope for the future because our hope is not in this day, it's in that day. Our hope is not based on what's happening around us today. It's on the fact that someday Jesus is coming back and he's writing to people who are facing hard times and he was saying, put your hope in Jesus. I think about heaven now more than I used to. It's interesting. I didn't think about heaven a whole lot when I was 18. I, I wanted to go to school, I wanted to get married, I had plans. I don't think I thought about heaven a whole lot when I was 30. I had family to raise and I was busy. But I found that I think about heaven a little bit more now. And I suppose as my body cooperates less and less, I'll think about heaven more and more. Is that true? <laughs> that's, what I've, that's what I've heard. But it's reality. It's there for us to set our sights on. In fact, look at the next verse, verse 14 from the message. So, my dear friends, since this is what you have to look forward to, I grew up in a great church and uh, heard a lot of great sermons. I just don't remember many of them, <laughs> which is depressing for me, actually, to think about. But I remember one that my pastor, Stephen Sparks, preached when I was in high school. I think about it often. He said, did you wake up today and ask yourself, could today be the day? Did you wake up today and wonder, could today be the day when Jesus comes back? Do I look forward to that day? Because there is hope for the future. There's also, when we talk about the coming of Jesus, there's hope for the people. Look, and I want you to grasp this for a moment. We're going to take a deep dive into this next week. But I want you to see this. There is hope for the people. Because heaven gives us hope in a world that is often so hopeless. In light of the tragedies in El Paso and in Dayton and the headlines that we see over and over again, we have to ask where do we find hope? Truth is, when Jesus returns, we live in a broken world, right? You know that? And when he returns, he's going to fix what's broken. The reality is, when Jesus returns, it will be the day when what is wrong will be made right and when what shouldn't be won't be. 
How many times do we look at things in our world and go, it should not be this way? It shouldn't be like this. Well, when Jesus comes back, he's going to fix it. And what shouldn't be won't be anymore. Because he's going to take what's wrong and he's going to make it right. Now, I know this feels like an empty thing to say in the midst of our national and personal pain. But the greatest hope we could have is that Jesus is coming back and he's going to fix everything that's broken. To which you go, where are you? (laughs) Have you seen the headlines, Jesus? Stuff's messed up. It would be really nice if you could come back. Because if you really want to fix things, what's taking you so long? Don't tell me you haven't thought it. Peter knew you would. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing. Dear friends, I've heard, I've heard far too many sermons about the second coming preached by angry pastors. Jesus wasn't angry. Peter wasn't angry. Did you just hear him put his arm around him? He said, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here's here's what I picture there. I, I picture, as Peter's writing this, it's almost like he's putting his arm around him. And he says, I know the world is broken and messed up. And I know that things just are not right. And I know that you're having a hard time. Here's what I want you to know, dear friend. You may wonder where God is, but he's not slow. He knows that this is a broken world and he's going to fix it. That's why he sent Jesus the first time. And that's why Jesus is coming back. Because he's going to make everything new. But to make everything new... He's going to have to start over. And when he starts over, then you won't have a second chance. So the reason he's waiting, it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he loves you so much that he's given as many people as possible a chance to make things right before it's too late. He says this in verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Paul says this in Romans 2, 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing, get this, that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? The greatest hope that we have is that Jesus is coming back. And the greatest opportunity we have to love the 419 and change the world around us is that he hasn't come back yet. Because there's still people. He he says there's still too many lost people in Toledo. So we have a job to do. And then some of you have come in here today, and your, your personal situations are so tough right now. You got family disappointments. You got medical concerns. You've got financial fears. You've got uncertainty about the future, good or bad. And sometimes you just wonder, where do I find hope? Can I tell you this? There is hope for you. Four times in this passage, Peter doesn't say, get your act together, losers. 
He doesn't say, listen up, dirtbags. He says, dear friends, like this passage of scripture, it's like God wrapping his arms around you and saying in the place where you are today, I know some of you are fearful in our world or you face current challenges or you're being tugged by the pull of our culture, but it's important for you to know there is hope for you because Jesus is coming again. And look, here's the reality. I I don't know when he's going to come back. He may come back in our lifetime. As I read scripture, I believe that the coming of Jesus Christ is sooner than ever, and it could be today. But even if he doesn't come back for all of us today, it could be the last day for some of us. Some of you know our, our friends, Paul and Sharon Ellis, missionaries in Mongolia. They've been here multiple times. This week, Paul breathed his last, and I believe today he's worshiping in the presence of the Lord after a quick battle with cancer. Like, I don't know that a year ago anybody would have imagined that this would have happened, and we're praying for the Ellis family. But here's what I know. It it could happen in a moment that you're standing before Jesus, and my question for you is, is that where your hope is? Is that where your confidence is? Is that where your trust is? Do you know that if Jesus came for you today that you would be ready? Look, I talked about the honest side of this because honestly, some of you need to be concerned about your eternity. And I talked about the holy side of this because some of us, if Jesus came back, I don't don't know that he'd be real pleased with the way that we're living. And I've talked about the hope today because some of you need to know that there is hope because Jesus is coming again. Maybe maybe because we just got back Friday, but I, I, I love going on vacation. Anybody else? I mean, I love you, but I love going on vacation. Part of the joy of taking a trip is thinking about the trip before it happens. Isn't that true? Like part of the journey is the expectation. Like back in May, I'm like, man, I'm looking forward to August. Back in June, man, I'm I'm feeling kind of stressed right now, but I'll be gone in a few months. I get a break. Back in July, man, am I sick of them, but I won't have to see them in a couple of weeks, right? You think that way. You think, you think that way. Be honest. You're not that holy, right? You think that way. Because part of the journey is the expectation. I loved the last couple of weeks. Got to go to general council and see friends that I haven't seen in a long time. I got to spend time with my family. We were in a beautiful place. I got to rest. And I looked forward to that. I loved that. The problem is I'm back now. <laughs> no offense. But that, right? Got back Friday. Guess what I was thinking on Saturday? Wonder when I'm going again. Do you know what I'm talking about? Come on, anybody? Is there something about that expectation? Look, you're going to take an awesome trip someday because Jesus is coming back. But I get so caught up in my present situation that I forget about the promise that he's given to me. I hope that today you'll think differently about the truth. Jesus is coming again. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And look, just just in a very honest moment, whether you're in this room or you're in Auditorium 2 or you're watching on a screen somewhere, there's some of you that would say to me today, I don't know that I'm ready. I don't know that I'm ready to face eternity. And today, I need Jesus as my Savior, the one who brings forgiveness, 
I need him as my Lord, the one who gives direction in my life, and I can't do it on my own anymore, and I don't want to be in eternity without him. I want to choose heaven and his presence to know that I'm ready when he comes again. There are things in my life that need to change, but today I surrender my life to him. If that's you, whether you're in this room or you're in auditorium too or you're watching on a screen, would you just raise your hand? You can raise it, put it right back down. Say, Jesus, today I need you. I need you as my Savior. I need you as my Lord. I give my life to you today. Is there anybody else? You can raise your hand, put it right back down. If you know that he's your Savior and Lord, or if you know that he should be, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask today that you would forgive my sin and be my Savior. I surrender my life to you, my risen Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, then, then as you leave today, I hope you'll grab one of these cards. They're on the shelves as you leave the auditoriums. They say, I have decided. Take that to our Connection Center. We would love the opportunity to pray with you. We have a Bible we want to give to you that's easy to read and understand and would love to help you to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Would you stand with me? And just as we wrap up, thanks for your patience today. But we want to take one moment and just focus on Jesus, our coming King. We're going to sing a song we, we sang earlier. When we get to this one point in the song, it says, He shall return in, in robes of white. And I think we should raise our voice when we get to that point, don't you? And it says that the blazing sun will pierce the night and I will rise among the saints. My face transfixed on Jesus' face. I think at that point, it'd be good for us to make some noise, don't you? Like, that's our hope. And so, Father, in this moment, we, we, we look to you. We thank you that you are not only our Savior, but you are our soon-coming King. And so we put our trust in you today. In Jesus' name, let's sing this song together.
Father, we thank you that we hold on to the promise that you not only love us, but that you're coming back for us. And so we put our hope in Jesus, our soon coming King. Lord, this week, would you help us to live a life that is holy before you so that others will see who you are. And God, may we point people to know you as their Savior and their Lord. God, thanks for your word, how it challenges and encourages us. As we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.